When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. It is Wednesday, October 11th, 2023, and I'm your old pal, Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy, the King in John LaValle. The King I'm, in John. I always forget that I have this statue on my desk of Hester. <laughs> this uh, something to terrify your children with? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was gifted to me. I think I talked about this on some show. It was this the statue itself wasn't gifted to me. My mother in law got me this gift from. Uh, it's called the Mysterious Package Company, and they send you just like <laughs> shit I that do you're remember supposed this to figure now. out. I do remember this now. And yeah. she didn't know I was into Lovecraft or anything. So honestly, this was way before Time for Chaos or anything like that. Way before I probably even did the new game Who Dis uh, Cthulhu. And I was like, what the fuck? And I open it up. It's got a copy of the King in Yellow, and it's got a statue of Aster. And now I leave it on my desk, and I never really realized that I've got the King in Yellow just, just chilling here with just me. Just chilling. Just hanging out. There he is. That's fantastic. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the FOD. Uh, we got a fun one for you today. It's so funny. Both of us have a lot going on today, and we're like, let's try to keep this tight. Uh, but this... This is going to be a tight yet chunky fod. Tight and chunk? Super chunk, dude. Well, first combat, man. There's lots to talk about. First combat. So what we're going to do here today is get that network news out of the way immediately and uh, and keep that really short. And the bulk of this week is going to be We Are Stupid. So get excited, folks, because <laughs> uh, we are very, very dumb. And it's going to be fun to dig into some PF2 rule conversations for you rules freaks out there. Uh, and then, of course, we'll do we'll do a little listener mail. So kicking right off at the top. Dude, big news this week. I don't know if you realize this because of the way the schedule is working out. And it's going to be so close to our next FOD, but it's not. But it's coming before our next FOD. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Do you realize this is the last FOD before Voyagers of the Jump returns? I did not know that. Exactly. Uh, I knew it would surprise you. It's kind of a tricky timing because it's not till next week. It's Monday. It's Monday, but it'll be out before the next FOD. So Monday, October 16th. Those of you that have been waiting for Voyagers of the Jump to return, season two comes out on Monday. Wow. 
That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we were originally aiming for September. And as we started to look at the schedule, we're like, no, let's do, let's do October. I think we can push it till then and then have, have it go straight through the holidays. Uh, this first episode. Spoiler alert, you're going to want to listen. <laughs> I know. Uh, I can't wait for people to watch it, hear it, whatever it is. So very excited. That's on Twitch, right? That's going to be yeah, that's gonna be a live on, stream on Twitch, 8 o'clock Eastern on Monday night, twitch.tv slash The Glass Cannon. Uh, in, in true fodder fashion, I just want to give you a little tidbit that I love um, about the way that we've been working really hard behind the scenes to make production better and more efficient and a little bit more professional, to be honest, in the sense of um, getting ahead and and being able to consistently put out content when we say we're going to. And Voyagers, yeah, it got pushed a little bit uh, from our initial plan, but this is one of the first shows ever that is basically done. Like the whole season has been shot before yeah. it premieres, like an actual TV show. Oh, that's been a dream of mine for <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah. believe it. It happened. So it's just it's just so cool. Uh, so yeah, you're going to get that every week from now till Christmas time. So uh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, um, that's, that'll be great. Ten episodes is the plan. And uh, yeah, yeah, Mongoose is on board. Uh, yeah, one of the sponsored official by sponsors. Mongoose. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Matthew's been really excited about it. I mean, he was talking about it all summer before they started <laughs> He was recording. all summer he was talking about it. It's like, all right, put down the jitted tonic. I've heard enough. <laughs> yeah, he really keeps telling other people that don't play in the game the, the story. The that, whole like, story. Because he's so excited for the second season story. So uh, I don't want to say any more. I definitely got to check out the, the first episode, though. It is not what you're expecting. So it's going to be it's going to be the great. Job. Um also, New York Comic Con is this week. Oh, so man. in two days, dude, in two days, our show at New York Comic Con uh, playing the Marvel Multiverse RPG, a whole slate of classic Marvel heroes coming yep. coming to the table. I know who the heroes are. I've got the adventure. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a spooky Halloween-themed adventure, and it's exciting. Uh, as usual, though, uh, my concern is how do I get these six random fucking Marvel characters together on a mission? <laughs> it was hard enough at Gen Con. Now I'm like, why would this person work with this person? So that's that's really what I'll be struggling with between now and Friday. Yeah. Well, I, I do wonder if you, if you owe anyone an explanation. No, it's I don't a- think I do. And just also, like, sometimes I'm, like, thinking about it myself. I'm like, you know what? Let me just put it on the players. Let them do it instead of me writing this big, exactly. glorious what do you have to do intro. All that work for? Yeah. Why are, you, why are you in New York right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where oh, are you in New so York? So it's in New York? Oh, yeah. Spoiler. It's in New York, yeah. Nice. in New York. I know my way around New York. Um, all right. Well, that's fantastic. And then last piece of news that I have. I mean, this is probably the biggest news of all. I have returned to streaming video games in the GCN saying, Employee I Lounge. I have retired. I have. I am retiring. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I, I know you guys love the sport re- sports references, but I'll be the, uh, what's his name? Andrew Luck. It'll be the Andrew Luck of the Glass Cannon <laughs> podcast. It's like c- completely out of nowhere in my prime. Just be like, I quit. I'm done. Um, I, I, I retire. Yeah, I'm streaming Lies of P, and I just want to mention it real quick because it's awesome. And I yeah. didn't know about it. It's a, it's a Korean, I believe, developer made a game that is very much an homage to Bloodborne, uh, and, and Soulsborne games in general. And it's completely consuming me. I'm so into it. And so, uh, I've streamed it three times last week and I'm going to continue this week. So wow. keep an eye on the employee lounge if you want to check out this game. It's freaking awesome. And, uh, I highly recommend you, you stop by and hang with us. Uh, I had a bunch of people on Friday hanging out. Like it was really, really fun. And Dude, that's big fun. bad boss fights that are really, really brutal and just kind of fun to watch tactically. So 
I, I, I'm shocked that you're able to play that with both Starfield and Baldur's Gate 3 out. Uh, kudos to you. But you were telling me about it and we were shooting in the office this week and I was like, holy shit, this looks great. I don't know when I can possibly yeah. play it. Well, well, this is the one thing I know for certain you are going to play it beginning to end. You yeah. are going to, you are going to play this game. Platinum yeah. that John. Uh, yeah. I don't know when it'll be. It, yeah. Definitely 2024. Uh, but cause I, so I've given up Starfield to play this. I haven't played one minute of Starfield Ugh. since I fired it up last week. That's all I'm playing. That's all. So I'm I'll playing. get back to Starfield at some point, but this is just, I really wanted to stream something and hang with everybody. Yeah. And this one is really fitting the, you know, I was saying before, I having a hard time trying to figure out how to stream Starfield. Well, we said in the I was like, it's a personal game. It's like a, it it's a sim, you know, it's a life sim in space. And like, I just want to enjoy that on my own. Yeah. Uh, sometimes if, if I, I had just a, walk around and like get a room in a hotel and go to sleep. Exactly. <laughs> That's so not good so like if I had a hook, if I had an idea for like a short arc story I wanted to tell, or like I want to play Dax, like, you know, role play Dax yeah, you like or something. That. Like, yeah, I, I could see doing that down the line. But as I'm exploring the game right now, I just want to, yes, it's a, it's a more personal experience and I don't find it very entertaining to watch. So, but Liza P very entertaining to watch me smash my controller live on air. So don't <laughs> it miss looks that. looks incredible. So yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to We Are Stupid, dude. This is going to be the bulk of our episode today as we're going to delve into a lot of mechanics. And I'm excited to talk not only about things we got wrong, but things that are, you know, general discussion starters, as uh, Professor Eric is so uh, gracious to bring to the table. We're going to do two full episodes of two different shows right now. Oh. We're going to do episode four of the glass cannon podcast first and foremost we're going to delve into that but then for those who want to stick around for the rest of we are stupid and listener mail we're also going to do the boston show which was a bear which was riddled with player mistakes allegedly and (laughs) professor eric went through it with a fine tooth pen god bless him you know a classic tooth pen yeah the old fine tooth pen (laughs) the old fine tooth pen and really laid out uh, some some issues that Matthew is going to have to deal with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Seems like right. it's going to be a very heavy Matthew made mistakes episode. There's going to be a lot of that on the back end. Actually, <laughs> let's start out with Matthew as we talk about <laughs> devise a stratagem, mm-hmm. which is uh, the new ability that he has brought to the table with his investigator. Look at this, Troy. Boom. Already sure, gum, prepped gum, gum, gum. and ready to go. Demi plane action. De- little demi plane action. Uh, using the Pathfinder Nexus here. Demi, uh, uh, devise a stratagem is, uh, the wording is very, very important on this ability because it says that you, you choose a creature you can see and you roll a d20. That's, that's the action. You just roll a d20. Right. If you ch- strike the chosen creature later this round, you must use the result of devise a stratagem for your strikes attack roll instead of rolling. Take that so, back. That seems weird. How would you know if you struck them if you didn't use the roll? That is what Matthew did. He did it in his own head. It's not lowercase s strike. <laughs> it's capital S strike. Right. So striking is the action of attempting to hit. Right, right. Yeah. So, but I, it's just a natural human thing. It, yeah. If you strike the creature, like, oh, so if I hit it. So in the episode, he seems to be implying like, so did I hit it? You know what I mean? And you're like, right. and Wait, I told, what are you asking me? And I think I told him in the first round. I, I, I was think like, you yeah, did. that would and be so, a hit. And you're not supposed to do that. 
so uh, so Professor Eric lays out very clearly Matthew's role. Matthew rolls the die and does not add modifiers at this time. Troy should not tell him if it's a, if it's a success or not until Matthew spends the action to strike. You still don't have perfect knowledge, but you have very good knowledge. You know exactly what you rolled. You know what the number is going to be. And you have to kind of guess at the AC right if early in a combat. So um, and then when you strike. You're adding your intelligence – if you use the device of stratagem, you're adding your intelligence modifier instead of your strength or dex and another damage die on top. Yeah, that's insane. And so this is something I'll let everybody know. We have cleared up with Matthew, but we had already recorded some episodes. So you may see that mistake again, but it is fixed in, in future episodes, and, and we do know about it. So device of stratagem I think is going to come up from time to time, but – you know, it is what it is. Uh, next on the list, I mean, absolutely ha- had to bring it up. Uh, Troy, just in case you didn't know, Awakazashi has the deadly property. Oh, wait, look at that. <laughs> look at that. Right we should there. email Sydney. Deadly. Deadly. <laughs> uh, yeah, we thought that uh, the Wakazashi is something that you would have to, like, get critical specialization in order to unlock the deadly property. I truly wonder sometimes how my stupid, stupid brain works. Like, I just don't understand it at times. Like, I've known from the beginning that deadly is just a trait that some weapons have. Like, why would I think you had to be a higher level to unlock the deadly property? Did you say that? To, I mean, like, I did. I mean, in so many words, I didn't. I wasn't like, listening as you got Matthew. It's not was like, that you, I told, you, you lied to her face. And I'm like, I literally wasn't listening to you guys' argument. Yeah, I, I didn't really like drive the force behind that uh sydney sort of said that she needed it and i was like oh yeah okay and at least that's my memory of it anyway but i i was just when you do a show <laughs> your brain just doesn't work the same way so as much going on yeah. yeah and and you're just kind of you just get a little dumb so i was stupid there of course deadly just you know when you crit you get that extra d8 and uh we did get that called out after the fact and got it fixed but you just made fun of sydney many times which was really funny <laughs> well i actually, didn't give her the extra d8 that was the you didn't give her the extra d8 and part. matthew rolled a recall knowledge uh, of some kind later which we'll talk about in a second on the gorga <laughs> the gorgo or whatever yeah and you were like you know what you do know because he rolled like a 13 you're like you right. know what you do know that a wakazashi has the deadly problem <laughs> i mean it was awesome and i think sydney flipped me off <laughs> I believe. Uh, oh, you know what? I believe she did. I didn't see the video. Dude, version. there's nothing I get a kick out of more. It's like when a player realizes something uh, later that would have done more damage, and I don't give them the damage as a punishment. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing that for years. It's, it's just, fantastic. I find it really funny. But I mean, it would just like start fist fights in home games. <laughs> um, also, I uh, always want to point out when Professor Eric gives us uh, a good grade and and a, and a compliment, oh. uh, he says, however, it is in the same situation with the Wakazashi, it's great to see an effective use of debuffs to help generate a crit. Demoralizing as a first action to set up rather than as a third action is great to see, is yeah. what he said. So uh, we're, l- we're learning. Learning. Little by little. Okay. Oh boy. I hesitate to get into this. I really don't think that we should, but the fact is it was brought up in this episode. It's in this episode. People might be out there talking about it, so we're going to have to talk about it. Should I open the AP up? Uh, no, you don't need to open the AP up, okay. and you'll see why immediately when I throw this up it on anyways. screen. It's the Monastic Archer. St- oh, that's the wrong one. That's Here not it, it. That's not it. Here it is. The Monastic Archer stance. Ah, uh, yes. So this causes issues again later that that we have addressed. So forgive us if it comes up again, but I do want to address it now because uh Professor Eric, you know, makes it clear 
that when she is in this stance, she can still use, you know, not when she's in this stance, when she's holding a bow, she can still do unarmed attacks. The problem is the wording of monastic archer stance basically says you cannot attack without a bow or, you know, the the required weaponry to do it. And so what uh, Eric is saying here is most of the time, GMs, because there's no rule on how you get out of a stance. And we mm-hmm. talked about this behind the scenes uh, later down the line in recordings. Yeah. There, there's no real written rule for it. So most GMs do a one action, drop the stance action. Huh. If you want to then change the kind of way that you're fighting. However, you could just drop the bow. So dropping the bow is a free action that would immediately break the stance. But what GMs are sort of ruling out there is if you want to keep holding the bow and then you want to start kicking in melee with flurry of blows or something like that, you need to spend an action to drop the stance, almost like spending an action to sheathe the bow kind of thing. But if you just drop it, then you, it automatically breaks the stance. It, it's kind of a tricky. Uh, so the bow is what's line. causing the confusion. Yeah, it, it says, uh, well, no, here's what's causing the confusion. Um, I believe that it's on here. Let's look at it. It, uh, it says, while in this stance, the only, here it is, while in this the stance, only strikes the, the only make. strikes you can make are those with long bows, short bows, or bows with the monk trait. So that is a, the key line here that Professor Eric focuses in on. He also then admits there's no rule for turning off a stance, quote unquote. There's no rule for turning off a stance. Right. It simply says, and I believe I have it here. Let's see. Well, why don't you um, click on the stance trait for a second? I am. So, so I'll okay. go to the monk, and uh, they have in in uh, Demiplane, they have a, a summary thing. Here it is. Key terms of your class. Yeah. Uh, stance. A stance is a general combat strategy that you enter by using an action with the stance trait and that you rem- remain in for some time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> some time. A stance lasts until you get knocked out, until its requirements, if any, are violated. Yep. Until the encounter ends or until a new stance, whichever comes first. After you take an action that has the stance trait, you can't take another one for one round. You can enter or be in a stance only in encounter mode, which makes sense. Oh, by the way, that's an interesting thing to keep in mind is like you can't just be like, I enter a monastic archer stance before the door is opened, right? Like very tricky. You have to be in encounter mode. So reading that, to me, I'm going to go back to it again. To me, this this says here, uh, until its requirements are violated. So why couldn't you just attack with without using a bow? Thus violating the stance and thus breaking it. Because in monastic archer stance, while in the stance, the only strikes you can make are those using long bows, short bows, or bows with the monk trait. So once you're near that stance, you cannot kick. However, would that be considered if you started kicking that you violated the stance and therefore you've, you're now out of the stance? That's what I'm thinking. I think that's the roundabout way of doing it. You just have to remember that if you're going to do that, you're no longer in the stance and you cannot enter back into it in this encounter. Mm. Right, or I don't no. think that's the case. If you use, uh, you can't. You, you can't enter a new stance. I believe. Oh no, you uh, can only in be in it and encounter in one mode. round. In one round, you can't use another action with the stance trait. Yeah. So, if that is considered violating the stance, uh, 
after you take an action that has the stance trait, you can't take another one for one round. So yeah, that's the way I read it, because yeah. they've specifically said until its requirements, if any, are violated. And the requirements of monastic archer stance is that you can only use longbow shortbows. So, yeah, the way I'm reading that is you can that's the way you get out of it. You violate it by kicking and punching. Uh, and then next round, you've got to burn another action. To get back, to get in, back the in the stance yeah. if you want to do a flurry with the book. Get an email, Kate. And then round episode 13, 14, 15, this will come into play. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, my God. So funny. But thank you, uh, Eric, for delving into that because it is it is tricky. I like that the first two things that we're doing here and We Are Stupid are really deep dives into cl- new classes we haven't played before. That's really what this is. It's, it's a monk-specific thing and an investigator-specific thing as opposed to general combat rules. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's something I don't spend a lot of time on. Like, I don't dig into your individual classes. I mean, when I look at, like, the breadth of my prep and the time that I have to prep, part of my prep isn't like, let me learn the blah, blah, blah class. I learn through play. That, to me, is more interesting because my goal isn't perfection. My goal is, like, creating something that is a learning experience for the players and the viewers. You know, I think that's way more interesting than already knowing everything out the gate. Although, do I do expect you guys to know it. Uh, yeah. know your classes that's where i get a little antsy it's like come on you have one thing you gotta learn yeah but what we're dealing with here is and i'm not going to give matthew an excuse because uh, to me devise a stratagem is is pretty clear uh, we just screwed up on the our understanding of it but like it's it's pretty clear the and that extra damage wasn't on uh, we were when we recorded we were still using the beta of demiplane and the little extra damage die wasn't on there right you know so he just mean? forgot because it wasn't on his sheet right yeah. and that's the problem with living by digital sheets is like you still got to know how the class actually works you can't just go by the digital because the digital could be wrong or not right the digital is in beta right it's being yeah. worked on and it's fixed now and so now he remembers it but What's the other thing I wanted to mention uh, real quick? Oh, just that like the monastic archer stance, though, like it has nothing to do with knowing your class. This this is a an unclear rule where debate is possible sure. in in raw versus uh, RAI. And you a GM needs to make a call for this game. Like, do you have to spend an action every time to get out of a stance or not? That's a GM call because it's not written in the in the rules. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's yeah good I wouldn't I wouldn't offer that house rule of like just use an action to drop the stance. I would say violate it. That's yeah. how you drop it. You got to. Uh, that's it. the action you got to use. And if you, you know, that's that's how I read it. Um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I always read the traits, the and that's something I even forget, especially with spellcasters. Like, got to read those traits. So usually, there's just so much happening, especially when we're live for strange aeons. It's like I do the prep, and then we're in it, and it's like we do our best. Yep. That's the game. That's how people play. Hundred percent. Attention, all Go Guns enthusiasts! Have you seen what Sarge has released recently? These new models and attachments are sure to excite you. Outfit your desk with these meticulously crafted gun models. Guaranteed to exceed your expectations. We'll buy them back up to 100 days. Don't miss out on the opportunity to add these stunning pieces to your collection. Visit GoGuns.com now to see our new releases. Let's look real quick at uh, treating wounds. So uh, I, I treat, uh, I treated. I think it's wounds. trot. Is the past tr- past tense of treat is you trot. trot. You trot wounds. Um, I trot wounds in this episode, <laughs> and uh, I, no, I did not treat disease. But under the medicine trained actions, uh, there's treat wounds. Treat wounds. So uh, I got a nat twan zoni. Uh, I critted uh, on the treat wounds, and you'll see that the a critical success. Uh, the target gains 4d8 hit points and its wounded condition is removed. So I was able to roll 4d8, heal myself a whole ton. The reason that uh, I bring this up is because Professor Eric said, 
make sure you realize that treating wound criticals on treating wounds are roll four D eight, not roll two D eight and double it. And the reason that that is a, a very clear distinction, whereas like most other crits that we do are, you know, there you d- roll the damage and double it like that's how we're doubling damage when we hit on crits and stuff like that uh-huh. the reason you don't do that on treat disease is because of this section here you can increase the dc of the check to increase the hit points regained by a flat number in this uh-huh. case it's 10 if you do dc 20 if you're a master it's dc 30 let's say it's a dc 30 check and you're going to in hip increase the hit points gained by 30 this is what suki is doing now by the way in strange Aeons. like she's now increasing the dc because we're higher level yeah so if you crit it would be 48 plus 30 exactly yeah. not 2d8 plus 30 times 2 yeah okay so that's why it's important to make that distinction between the two and treat disease because the higher versions have a flat bonus that never gets doubled I would so. never think to double it because I would just read it and it says four D eight. But I also like totally, never totally. heal. Totally, yeah. GM. It's just it's just a note. <laughs> you know, it, this is yeah. more like he wanted to make sure we, we didn't do something wrong here because I did roll four D eight. But yeah. he's just like make sure. But I know somebody else did. I don't know if it's in GCP or if it down. was in a in another game. But somebody rolled two D eight and just doubled it when they crit on their treat wounds. And I just wanted to show and explain why not because at later levels you will get flat bonuses that don't double. So don't get in the habit. Of rolling 2d8 and, and doubling it. Um, all right, one more topic here on uh, episode four before we move over. This is a this is a general topic that came up because uh, uh, because of Matthew's investigative ability to I can't remember the name of it right now, but where he gets like a free knowledge check when he uh, is using device stratagem. Yeah, he can add a knowledge check onto it, and this brought this kind of opened a can of worms in in. Um, uh, Professor Eric's opinion, which is a, a, a comically de- uh, comically <laughs> that's ironic, a uh, frequently debated issue in the community right now, which is retrying recall knowledge checks by the book. There, there is a rule for it. I'll actually show it to you right here. And this is actually in the GM uh, guide. You mm-hmm. have to go to the GM guide for this, but it lays out for you additional knowledge Sometimes a character might want to follow up on a recall knowledge check, rolling another check to discover more information. After success, further uses of recall knowledge can yield more information, but you should adjust the difficulty to be higher for each attempt. Now, here's where it gets tricky. Once a character has an attempted an incredibly hard check or failed a check, further attempts are fruitless. The character has already recalled everything they know about the subject. That's the key there. You can't retry after a fail. Right. But here's what the community brings up. It's a philosophical question. Is an a recall knowledge check always and exclusively based on group knowledge or individual knowledge? As in, is it just knowledge on Gorgas or is it knowledge about this Gorga in this combat, in this round? <laughs> is that different than group Knowledge. So if I'm like reading a book about Gorgas, right, and I roll my check two days before we encounter one because we've heard they're out there and I get a piece of success or I, I fail and I don't really get anything. Um, let's say Matthew's character does the same thing. When he then fights a Gorga, can he not know anymore that while well, he's in a fight with it? But you rolled the check. 
let's say he rolled the check let's say he rolled. In, in our game i rolled the check but let's say right. he rolled the check and he let's just say he failed my right? gut is no unless there's something about this gorga that is unique and different from your basic gorga then yeah. that's where it gets into a gray area so the way that uh, eric laid it out is basically the, the the complication comes with a few classes investigators mastermind rogues and outwit rangers these are builds of these classes that specifically have abilities that that give you retries essentially on not retries as much as like give you knowledge checks on someone you're currently fighting Mm -hmm. right Uh, and what he says is the general recall knowledge rules of failure means you can't try again is nerfing these classes abilities because it should be you can't try again on this gorga but if you turn to this Gorga, maybe you could learn something, you know, about it. And there's three interpretations. One is it's all group. If you don't know it, you'll never know it. The other interpretation is it's all group for everyone else except people that have these specific abilities. And then there's the third uh, interpretation, which is all knowledges are individual based. You're always just doing this monster, this creature, not all of this type of creature or whatever. Well, I would see a fourth one is the one I like. It's like it only matters if they're different. Like you're fighting two Gorgas. They have identical skills. If you fail on one, you're not going to learn anything from the other one because they have the same exact skill set. However, if there was like a uh, daddy Gorga and a baby Gorga, then I would allow it. So I think it's kind of like this is, this is your GM call. That's how I would call it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're fighting three identical creatures, if you fail on one, you fail on all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't even let you burn the action. If you go to recall Nodge, I would be like, they all look the same to you. Um, and then you know, you're not going to get anything, you know, you're not going to get anything more save your action. That's my, my compromise. But oftentimes you'll have like, you know, you fight a group of kobolds and there's the kobold leader and then there's the kobold warriors and like the kobold leader has maybe a little bit extra Then you could use it. That that's, that to me, seems, seems fair because then you're not nerfing, um, but you're not like, uh, letting them. You don't just let them keep much. trying until they get, get right, the knowledge right, right. about the creatures. Yeah. Yeah. What's know, nice about using Foundry, because I'm using Foundry for my monsters, is like all the checks are right there with the DCs and the skill, the applicable skills. And so I've got the DC set, and uh, it, this come, came up recently in a show that is going to come out uh, later this year, where it said like something was incredibly hard, because you guys were like, what? Uh, how come we didn't get that? It was a very high roll. And I'm like, well, it says incredibly hard. And then we started to work out on air as to why. And that was interesting. That was cool. Um, did yeah, you like know it. about, did you know about this? Uh, I'm assuming you did not. This additional right. knowledge thing. I mean, I think that that's no. awesome. I never knew that. No, so I probably read it, it once and never even knew. after succeeding, you can attempt another check to get more information, but it's obviously it's recommended here that, that the GM adjusts the difficulty to be higher for each attempt. That's cool. I like yeah. that. Uh, something to keep in mind. If you rolled, you know, a, a 24, and you're like, and that, you know, and for you, whatever, that was like a natty 12. And you're just like, you got some information. You're like, I, I know there's more. There's something Troy's holding back. Like, I want to do it again. You're like, all right, but now it's going to be DC 26. Yeah. Or, or have know. somebody else roll it. <laughs> <laughs> True. Somebody else for it on action. You're up here. So many times still, don't people don't know what to do that third action. If you haven't rolled that recall knowledge, even if you don't have a great role, try it. You, you, if, they, if you know there's more to learn and the other person can't re-roll because they've failed, use it. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for uh, episode four of the Glass Cannon Podcast. Let's look at the Boston show. This is going to be uh, a lot of uh, highlighting, um, as we said, Ethel, of course. However, let's kick it off with 
with our good buddy Skid and uh, what Professor Eric predicts will cause an issue, and that's the thrower's bandolier. Uh, so this was the new item that Skid got. Did you see anything about this? Do people say stuff no, about this on the boards? No, I, I haven't really been reading. Yeah, so I, I don't know if anybody said anything about it, but he said, uh, Professor Eric said he believes this would be a controversial topic because um, there's a lot of pros like and controversial, cons. Controversial, like it's going to make Skid mad. Well, no, controversial, <laughs> like in the community, like does it work for bombs or not? Because it never says bombs in the text. Uh, it's kind of for thrown weapons, but people say, you know, like alchemists should be able to use it for bombs, even if even though a bomb's not really like a dagger. Uh, it's a thrown weapon. Bombs, right, exactly. Do bombs have the weapon trait? Um, I think I actually have this up somewhere. Let's see. Uh, I do. I don't know. Is there a weapon trait? Uh, I'm looking bombs, at like acid al- flask. Alchemist fire lexer. does not have a weapon trait. It has a bomb trait. The bomb trait. Is there a weapon trait? I don't even know if there is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the point I mean, it's is it's a that- fucking weapon. It's not meant like, here, this is a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> right. Uh, I agree. And so does Professor Eric. He thinks that this should definitely be allowed and that Skid, um, that this would make it work a little bit more like the 1E Alchemist uh, that Skid sort of started with and that this feels like a, a right fit. He did highlight one thing, though. Just remember, this has a plus one weapon potency rune oh it's a little it's cut out of my screen because of the zoom in factor but it has a plus one weapon potency rune which is going to give a plus one to any weapon that it that you throw out of it so it gives a plus one uh potency to the bomb but then it's important to keep in mind that these bombs level up so at level one they uh sorry at level three it gains a plus one item bonus to attack rolls and what Eric points out is these do not stack. So if Skid is using higher level bombs, th- those bonuses don't stack with the bonus from the from the um, bandolier. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the plus one weapon potency is an item bonus, and it would not stack with the item bonus of higher level bombs. So just something to keep in and mind. And just so everybody knows, we email all of Professor Eric's uh, notes to the cat. We Joe emails them. Um, so even they're not listening to fodder, I doubt. Uh, so they know they're given this information. So hopefully it'll make it into the show. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it makes it into the show. Um, all right, let's keep moving on. And we'll now we'll get into Ethel. Um, this is an interesting one. Ethel needs a free hand or a weapon with the grapple trait in order to grapple. Ethel is a two weapon fighter build. I don't know if one of his weapons has the gr- the grapple trait. I, I don't think that it does. And he, I think he's just – he's grappling people, assuming he's just like putting his arms around them while he's got these two weapons. But that is against the rules. You can't do it. You have mm-hmm. to have a free hand or a weapon with the grapple trait. So something we'll share with Matthew. There it is. W- bravery. Uh, again, this comes up. I mean, this comes up over and over with, uh, I say with Matthew as if like he's such an idiot, but like we all, for, <laughs> we all forget during the show right. that like he always should be reducing his frightened condition by one automatically whenever he gets it. So if he's ever frightened one, he's just immediately frightened zero. If he's frightened two, he's immediately frightened one. Uh, so that, that's an important that, yeah. thing, important thing to remember. Um, Ethel crit with the hammer and we forgot to knock the enemy prone. We did it again. That's his critical bonus, is knocking the enemy prone. He did it on an AOO, I believe, and uh, it would have stopped him and knocked him prone. Stupid. We are stupid. <laughs> we are stupid. We're being nice by saying we. <laughs> We're being nice by saying we. <laughs> um, minor issue with Ethel's uh, um, 
uh, class DC. Uh, he's only trained in his class DC. So Professor Eric thinks 25 was correct on the uh, AOO. However, Frightened 2 would also apply to your class DC. So that would lower it to 23, thus a success in that case. So uh, yeah, important to remember that Frightened also carries over to your class DC whenever anything comes up for that. Uh, okay, so here's a big one that, I, that I, I'm really glad that he brought up. You know that Eris, I believe, and Ethel are now both rocking this bad boy, Battle Cry. Okay. When you roll initiative, you can yell a mighty battle cry and demoralize an observed foe as a free action. If you are legendary in intimidation, you can use a reaction to demoralize your foe when you critically succeed on an attack roll. That's awesome. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. legendary yet, though, I don't believe no 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 legendary would be very very end of the line um i think that's After like 10th 17 right? no i think it's like 17 oh, level wow, yeah okay. it's like the very end game end game okay so yeah n- not going to be for a while um if at all <laughs> the important thing to remember here is that they both utilized this battle cry uh, ability you know at the start of the of the combat and it's important to remember that creatures are immune to further attempts against it after. So if you go to uh, demoralize here on uh, the Nexus, uh, reminder, the, again, the last line, regardless of the result, the target is temporarily immune to your attempts to demoralize it for 10 minutes. Right. So basically, you can't intimidate a creature again in an encounter, whether you succeeded or failed. And since Eris and Ethel both did it as battle cry, you know, right at the start, it would have made the enemy immune to both of them for the remainder of the combat to, to trying again. Yeah. So that's important. Yeah. I'll forget that. So yeah, I need, I'll, I need I, you I, to come in. <laughs> I think, I think that I'll, I'll, I'll be able to remember that yeah. one because I just did not know that rule. I never read to the last line of demoralize. I have never had a character in two E that demoralizes. It's just yeah. not something I've used yet. And so, uh, yeah, reading to that last line is important. Uh, the immunity for 10 minutes is going to allow, uh, you know, some creatures, you know, on a successful save early on to get away with a lot of stuff. So that's cool. Um, yeah. Cool. cool good to know. Uh, let's see. How about we go to, oh, let's go to the uh, Al- Alchemist Fire again. <clears throat> so uh, the reason I had this up and I thought that this was, uh, that this was kind of fun was because Alchemist Fire, look at those traits, Troy. We always talk about how important traits are. Consumable fire splash. Alchemical and bomb. You know what's not in this list? What? Magic. Magic. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is yeah, not yeah, magical. Yeah, yeah. And so as a result, Professor Eric points out, Aldo was in a unique position to be one of the most effective characters against the golem. Because it bypasses its physical resistances and is not magic. So it bypasses its magic immunity. Alchemist fire, fire bombs are an incredible tool to use against a golem. And I believe, or at least he believes, that we were treating them as if they were magic. And so they would not affect the golem in the same way. I'd have uh, to go back and listen. I can't remember if I was. <clears throat> yeah. I specifically saying like, oh, it's he's immune to that. Or, oh, it was a while ago. Stand. So I don't remember exactly what we said. But in uh, Professor Eric's notes, he says, bombs are not magic. So bombs do not affect the, go- the golem normally. Oh, they should affect the golem normally. Um, they won't trigger any of the three branches of the golem anti-magic. Uh, the property rune, however, is magic. So the sonic damage that Skid is now getting in addition 
would fall under the golem anti-magic, which would cause higher than expected damage. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, golem anti-magic is tricky because they're all different. There's like some magic that not only hurts the golem, because they're immune to most magic except for X, but it, the X does even more damage to them. So you okay. have to figure that out and then uh, do it. And you guys got some of that, but some of it didn't. That's just a good thing to remember. I can't remember how it actually played out because I don't always tell you guys like, oh, that looked like it affected him. That looked like it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is interesting. Uh, and, and then he just rounds it out with alchemists often end up being rather effective against golems, not affected by their high physical resistances, nor blocked by their magical immunity. That's cool. So yeah, it's an interesting fine line, uh, skid found there to, uh, to get it in. And then the last thing that we have, and this is it, and then we're done with, we are stupid is the slowed wouldn't usually stack. But as a cinematic ending slash segue to phase two of the combat, I have no complaints. Professor Eric is fine with the stacking slow. But it is good to just keep in mind in general. But generally speaking, slowed is not going to stack. So if you're slowed one and then another effect would make you slowed one, you're not slowed two. You is that true of all conditions or no? Different conditions operate slightly differently. Frightened stacks, for example. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I know that. If you're frightened one, something else goes frightened one. I believe list you're frightened two. To know what stacks and what doesn't. I don't know if there is a list. I wonder if there's a cheat says, sheet out there. Yeah, yeah. I need that cheat sheet. Uh, call question. in and uh, give us the cheat sheet. Thanks to uh, Demiplane for the Pathfinder Nexus there uh, to look up all that stuff. That's much, great. much appreciate. And uh, let's let's move on here to a little listener mail before we get out of here. Let's. Let's hear from the Nash. Let's do it. It's time to listen to me. Gotta get your brain up on it. Listen to me. All right. Thank you so much to Michael in Missoula, Montana. Old Missoula. That's a lot of M's. Michael in Missoula, Montana writes in with a question for Troy. Oh, I already hate it. No. And Troy alone. Troy I'll alone. See, I'll see myself out. Oh, I, uh, I used to have a website called TroyAlone.com. Really? Did I ever tell you that? Yeah. It's like my first website. I didn't want to use my name, and so it was just TroyAlone.com. And then a uh, publicist that I became friends with when I was working at Caroline's was like, dude, that's your brand. Your brand is Troy LaValley. Change that shit. And I did. Nice. But I don't know why it was Troy alone. I just was like... I was, a lo- I was a lone wolf, Joe. <laughs> you still are. I still are. <laughs> Nothing changes. A question for Troy. I'm, re- I'm a relatively new GM running my first 2E adventure path for some family and friends. One of the Aww. things that I and many groups, I would guess, struggle with is fluctuating party size. I'm already having to rebalance every encounter because we have a party of seven in an AP written for four players, and I've gotten fairly proficient at it. The problem arises when one or more of my players cancels at the last minute. I know you've had to deal with similar situations with the live shows. Do you have any advice or tricks for tweaking encounters, encounter difficulty on the fly? I just want to provide my players with a continually challenging experience, but would feel terrible if we have one or more PC deaths due to bad balance. It's a great question. I think a lot of players or GMs deal with. He's playing 2E? 2E, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
a home game is going to be different than a streamed game, right? Like for a streamed game or a live show, I what I don't want to do is add more enemies because that just drags out combats. Um, but I also have learned you can't just throw an extra one or two points to an AC or one or two points to an attack because it can, that it wouldn't make a difference in one e. It sways so wild uh, in two e. So I've learned not to do that. The way I've been approaching it in um, Gatewalkers thus far. Um, with five PCs is really just playing with hit points. And I haven't even been too much of that. Um, because, uh, you know, you guys are still learning your tactics. You're still learning this. The hammer is going to fall eventually. Uh, I'm just kind of leaving it as it lies. Now, if you're dealing with seven PCs, six PCs, you're going to have to make some other changes. I would lean in favor of adding combatants as opposed to tweaking stat blocks. Cause unless you are, you know, this game inside and out, you can really fuck up encounters by tre- tweaking stat blocks. Add another guy in there. And then like, you can always call things on the fly. Like if you add another combatant in and you're like, holy shit, I'm going to TPK this party. Like all of a sudden that guy, w- one of these guys, if when he gets hit for 15 damage and he still has five hit points left, just take him out of the combat. You know he what I mean? Runs. Like. Yeah, please. In terror, <laughs> moving hit points isn't always like uh, giving guys extra hit points. Sometimes it's like you, you really gotta you gotta be able to call this on the fly and see like what is this? Was that a, such a brutal hit that leaving that guy with one hit point is going to add to the dramatic tension when you could just like remove that one or two hit points and be like, and you kill him. And you that's know, a, do- and that's just a moment the party needs, right? That's yes. a win they need. They're they're at the, they're on the ropes. Yeah, given that extra hit point or two, it just like put the enemy down. I do that shit on Strange Aeons all the time, just because it's we're it's specifically meant for drama. It's I'm I'm, I'm doing it more for the audience than for the players. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I really haven't had to tweak too much. I think two E uh, as a system is unforgiving enough, especially with what I'm doing with bottle caps over hero points. Like, I don't really need to tweak too much. It, it's hard enough, but I would say lean towards adding more combatants than messing around with stat blocks cool i was uh playing in the order of the amber die game with uh i think seven pcs and uh adam from order of the amber die is terrific gm uh obviously he wasn't doing this on the fly he was prepared he knew exactly how many players he was going to have but he buffed acs and two hit numbers i want to say by two something like that and for seven players uh it's it's absolutely vicious for every individual player so that plus two to ac and plus two to hit effectively means that you need to combine all of the strikes from all seven people to maybe get two hits on the creature because it's ac is so high that you 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 never crit it without a natural 20 and you have to like roll a natural 15 or higher to even hit it and so it it feels impossible in a way and characters go down all the time like they they go to, to dying all the time but in the encounters that I did run with them, uh, everybody survived and we won every fight after like, but they were all harrowing, you know? So I think it was pretty well balanced to add two to AC, but it does make it like you're lucky if you get one hit or two hits, your personal character on that boss or that creature during, during the combat. It's, it makes it like, it's just really hard to hit and they hit you really hard. And so, yeah, I don't know. Combining all seven people's abilities, it it seemed to balance the fights pretty well. You got to know your group and you got to know your your game. Like 
that Order of Badai is a is a seasoned group. They know the game really well. They're going to play super tactically. Even yeah. So when somebody goes down, other people are like they're using their actions very efficiently to like stabilize people. They know to leave somebody unstable for a round because they don't need to do it that round. They can do something else for that round, and like so they're very savvy like that. And so he he's able to put them in those positions. But That's, I more so I'm disagreeing with you that adding eight to AC <laughs> and adding to hit is deadly. deadly. Yeah, and we're just we're not that type of game you know what i mean like we're not, we're not savvy in that way we're savvy in the entertaining way and so if i started adding one or two to ac especially these strange aeons encounters which is a you know a converted uh adventure path it would you guys would be miserable you'd never hit anything you know another thing you can do is like fudge your dice if you want you know it's not something i do but like if you're a new gm and you're just trying to create an experience for your players fudge your dice so like if you're if you added a guy to the combat, uh, and they're still mopping. All of a sudden, your fucking natural three is uh, an eighteen. You know, get, get a couple more hits in so that you make make them feel like they're on the ropes. And then later on, maybe when you roll an eighteen, uh, have it be a miss if you so you kind of even out for for the, the 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 cheat the fudge earlier. You can even out later if that like you never want to fudge on a killing blow. But I'm just trying to think of like things you could do behind the screen just to. You know, that's, yeah, that's I the think, whole point of that screen. And I think fudging uh, fudging is an interesting idea when you've already added a combatant and you're doing that combatant's roles, right? It's like that combatant shouldn't even be there in the first place. Right. You can do, and, you can do a wild card. And so if you want to <laughs> fudge a little bit, fine. And then – because if you re- really don't like fudging, then like you could be like, well, I mean the, the main one, the main combatant there, I, I'm not fudging. Like there's nothing fudging about that. I might fudge a little bit on this added threat because it's already doing damage that's not in the book. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm going to add, you know, a little bit of uh, a fudge here or there to make sure that it feels balanced to the players. I never advocate for fudging, <laughs> but I think for new GMs who are trying to create an experience, like you, you do what you got to do. And then as you get better at the game, you can leave that out. Um, yeah. But, you know, that, that's but, how I But feel. it's very important as a new GM to, to read the room. You got to just read the room. If and get through the day. Down, get through the session. <laughs> if everybody's down, like just don't keep, don't keep leaning on them, you know, but – there are going to be times when, like, they, they need to know that you can kill somebody. They won't respect you until right. they know that you'll kill somebody. If they feel like they get out of every scrape without a, without a scratch, eventually they're going to not have any fun. So you, you, you got to kill someone just to keep them in line. Sometimes right in the first <laughs> session, just so they know you mean business. <laughs> Deus Ex Machina kill, too. Set the tone. It's like going to a <laughs> poker tournament. Very early on. You want to make a strong move early. Set a tone. <laughs> Go all in on the first flop. Oh. <laughs> First pre-flop. Wouldn't Who brought happen. this dick? <laughs> <laughs> Who brought this dummy? Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it. That's that's going to do it for us uh, nice. this week on the old FOD. Uh, thanks to everybody for hanging out. And hey, we got it. We got an encounter in the books, good buddy. We got we got one on the books. Oh man, next week. I've already edited next week and the week after. These are some good apps so coming up. We recorded apps. some more last week. It's going to be hot. Oh, by the way, anybody surprised at my first heal as a character for treatment or for Minimum my first match? Minimum! Minimum reality! Alright, we're out of here. Take it easy, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye! Voyager Season 2 left on Monday! In St. Louis! Four tickets left! Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit GlassCannonNetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at JoinTheNation.com.
Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. 